Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Um, before we kick off our fall series, um, next week we're going to spend a bunch of the fall um, talking about the gospel. What are the p- components of this thing called the gospel? Um, I want to spend today encouraging you and seeking wisdom from a couple passages around balancing our work and our rest. Balancing our work and our rest. I know for many of you, you're entering into like a school season or you're entering into a busy season maybe for work. And um, I want to encourage you in that. What are you created and and called to, that being work and um, rest? And one thing I want to say before I read the um, text here is admittedly, I want to accomplish a lot today. Uh, this, uh, I started writing and I was like, wow, this could have been like three, four, five week series. Um, but like, I'm just going to try to compress it in here so we can talk about work and rest together um, because I think that's really, really important. Um, if something um, like sparks your interest today, um, c- please come and talk to me. I probably have like one or five books, you know, um, pertaining to um, topic, whether that be like how to rest or uh, whether it be like discernment process about career, work, anything like that. Like that. So please come and say something. All right, today's scripture reading is going to come from Colossians chapter 3 and then um, Matthew chapter 11. And we're just going to put these two scriptures next to each other. Um, Colossians 3, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And verse 23 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And then Matthew chapter 11 um, says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, So Lord, I stand grateful um, for uh, the ways that you're at work in our lives and in our hearts. And I I ask right now, Father, that that you, by your spirit, would be in this place, um, that we would bring um, our Monday to Friday here now so that we could seek wisdom and discernment on the ways that you want to shape uh, the work that we do the learning um, that we're absorbing. And God, uh, I guess ultimately what I pray today is that when we come to the end of this, we would find that real rest is found in your son, Jesus. As you call us to this type of rest, I pray that that's um, what we would choose to believe today. Lord, I love you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord and my God. Amen. All right, I want to begin with this from uh, Thomas Merton. Uh, He is a monk, or he was a monk. It says, There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence, activism, and overwork. The rush and pressures of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, who's starting to like judge themselves right now? To want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. It kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes 
work fruitful. How do we not get sucked in, right? I was reading one author this week and says, we don't mean to be busy. We're, it's, it's like we're approaching a car wash. You know how the car wash um, hooks up to your car? It just sucks you, you know, it sucks the car through. That's what our day does to us, right? We're not trying to be busy, right? And, and I, I, one of the things I want to acknowledge about um, what Thomas Merton is saying is there's too many good projects. There's too many good things, right? There's too many good ways to help people. And inside of that, I want to say to you today, you were created and called to work, and you were created and called to rest. And maybe before I even flesh those out, undergirding both of these two points, like, at the, uh, like right below this, which I won't talk about today, is that you and I were actually made to flourish, right? Underneath the idea that you were created and called to work and you were created and called to rest is that you were actually made to flourish, right? Like burnout is not God's desire for us. And we can also say eternal retirement is not God's desire for us. Sorry if you're independently wealthy somehow, okay? (laughs) Grinding for 30 years on a career that you're not called to is also not God's desire for you. And so underneath these two ideas is this idea that you are actually made to flourish, and so let's begin with this Colossians passage here. And I, I added this, this first part because I really think that I love in the New Testament when Paul's like, here's how to live. Like, this is basically it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. What is he saying? He's saying, you're chosen, you're loved, you're God's beloved. Choose this. Bottom line, this is the thing you're actually supposed to do. Then what do you do out of that? Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I almost sense like Paul's like, you know what you are? You are an empty cup, and I want you to get filled up. And as your cup is filled up with being holy and dearly loved, your cup is beginning to what? Overflow. And what happens? It overflows with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And then, of course, what is verse 23? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Do you look at your work that way? I was, um, I was in Kenya in 2012. Um, it sounds really cool, but I actually ended up spending like 11 days in a classroom learning about microfinance, which was actually cool. But I was like, I'm in Kenya. I want to go outside. And we were with um, one of these trainers, and he, kept, had this, he had this axiom, and he kept saying it over and over again. He said, work is work. And I was like, yeah, actually, I think that's really deep to think about work that way, that work is work. It's something, um, and I think by and large, this is how we think about work, is work is something that takes from us. It requires something of us. And maybe we sort of view our work on a spectrum. Um, maybe some of us would, you know, on one end of the spectrum, say, I love this. This is, you know, this is the greatest thing ever. But maybe we inch a little bit on the spectrum this way, and it would be, I wish work was just like a little bit easier. Right? Or it didn't require so much of me. And then on the other side of the spectrum is like, work is what's wrong with the world. Right? Like, I, I, I wasn't made to do this. I, in, in the perfect world, eternal retirement is my thing. Um, in Greek mythology, actually, um, the gods don't work because work is seen as a demeaning thing. Work is for lesser beings. But if you look at the scriptures, the Bible doesn't look at some, uh, work as something that's in, done in a negative light, but in fact, the Bible looks at work and it shows dignity and value. And if you look in the book of Genesis, it's so fascinating, you actually have God coming as a worker. Genesis 2 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. God came as a worker, right? The creation account says that God created the light and the land and the sea and the stars and the birds of the air and the animals and people, and everything is perfect and beautiful. And remember what it says? It is good, right? And there's work, right? This is pre-fall, like sin in Genesis chapter 3, where like death and decay and darkness and separation between God and man and, and us and each other hasn't come And we have work still, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And so we can unequivocally say that we were actually created and called to work. And then I kept thinking about, okay, that's how God, you know, started Genesis. Like, what what, what happened when Jesus came, right? Jesus shows up. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And what does he do? He comes and he works, right? He, He labors. He labors as a student. He labors as a teacher, And prior to that, he actually labored as a a, a tradesman, right? Manual labor is how God showed up in Genesis and how Jesus showed up. And I was doing a little bit more research around like the idea that Jesus was a carpenter and there's like debates out there and I don't really know what like agrarian culture was like back then, but maybe Jesus was sort of like a stonemason um, in, in his time. And I was like, Jesus came as like a blue collar worker into the world, right? And if you keep going in Genesis chapter two, it says... The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. To to work it and to take care of it, to cultivate it. And one of the really cool things is, I'm not very good um, at um, like understanding Hebrew, Greek. I'm a little more familiar with Greek, but I was doing a little research here on this word um, to to like work it. And um, the the, um, Hebrew word is ovadah. And sometimes it's translated like work or craftsmanship, but in in other instances, it's actually translated as worship. And so to work and to worship are actually um, things that are very integrated. And in in that sense, this is what God has actually called us to do. And and the point that I really want to maybe give you encouragement in inside of that is I want to connect your Sunday to your Monday right? To know that, like, actually there's a purpose in not just coming here and, um, you know, learning about God and that's, like, contained in that bucket, but it actually connects into what God has called you to do during the week. That's why in our Colossians verse, this is a different translation, um, it says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Um, Work willingly, um, and, and, and I think one of the things that's so fascinating there is you think, what is, well, the, the, the Greek here is really fascinating. It willingly is like, um, it's like the word for psyche or like psychology or like soul. Like, it, it, so it, it literally could translate like work with your whole soul. Like work with your whole being, with everything uh, that you have. And so maybe, maybe what might be important here is to flesh out some of the implications. What are the implications of this and our work, this passage in our work? And I would say the first is this, that there's actually just dignity in plain old hard work. Like, just, just leave it sort of there, right? Like, the Bible presents Jesus and, and God coming as workers. How much more dignity could um, God have given to work? Jesus came as a worker, right? And maybe you'd sit here and think, well, you know what? What I do doesn't really matter, or it's, it's kind of insignificant, right? Like, I just do some budgets, I just do some spreadsheets, or I just code, or I just change diapers. It's not just that, actually. There's real value and and dignity in that type of work. Your work matters and there's meaning and there's purpose because you were created and called 
to work. In fact, we, we could even push further with that Ovidah language and say that actually all work is sacred. Or maybe you should say all work can be sacred. I don't know who said it, but um, it, the, the idea is everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes, right? Everybody wants to be a part of something so big, but like somebody actually has to feed people and clean up after, right? Everybody wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. And so what does this mean? I think what it means is in, in whatever your you know, career field is, or maybe it's, it's school, is that you can actually come to that and you can give yourself fully to it. And to say, God's desire, right, the model that he gave was six days of work, one day of rest. I can actually come to that, and I can give myself fully to it. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever read this um, essay. It's, um, it's an article called Why Work um, by Dorothy Sayers. I think she wrote it in the 1940s. And um, basically what she does in the article is she, she basically says, hey, the church is doing a terrible job um, at telling people how to work right? Uh, and, and she says, we're, we need to take the sacred and secular divide and like put them together and show that all work is uh, sacred. And here's what she says. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisurely hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables, Work willingly. You can give yourself fully to your work, whatever that may be, and do it with a level of excellence because God has called you to work, right? And I love that. Maybe the encouragement inside of that is, is you would say, well, actually, maybe that means I don't necessarily need to change my work. I don't need to change my job. God can use me whether I'm a barista or if I'm in marketing or if I'm in engineering, if I'm teaching, if, if I'm in media. And what, what, what's happening, again, is Sunday and Monday are beginning to collide. And so, like, if you're in the medical field, heal people, right? Like, treat, treat patients with dignity and respect working with all you have. If you work at a restaurant, make delicious food, right? That's, that's how you actually work willingly. If you are a teacher, Love and serve kids. The best teachers out there are always the ones that are thinking outside the box, right? They're the ones that we remember. If you're coding, I truly wish I knew what you did. Like, it looks so cool. I just think you listen to music all day. It's fine. Um, but, like, code excellently. I don't, I don't know how to, how to build that bridge. All work can be holy and work willingly. And then I like this last part of the verse. I think this is really, really important. It says, work willingly at, at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. And I just think that this is a, a subtle shift in our motivation that can actually really help us as we go um, to work. When we actually are free to, to say, you know what, I'm actually doing this because God created me to do it. There's a way of cultivation in, in the world for him. Then we're actually freed up to like work for the good of our neighbor. Um, Martin Luther came, and this was actually part of his 95 theses that he nailed um, to the door of Castle Church, is um, a piece on vocation. And he actually said that God uses the vocation of men and women to give good gifts to people and to meet their needs. And so for instance, um, we, we actually just prayed this, give us today our daily bread. Like we have daily needs. Well, how does God answer that, right? He answers our prayers often through our work, right? And so Martin Luther, in this article of, uh, on the 95 Theses, says, well, how, do, how does God answer the prayer for daily bread? Through a farmer who grew wheat. 
and someone who harvested that wheat, and then someone who processed that wheat, and then a baker who baked that, and then a delivery driver who drove that to the store, and a clerk who works at the store that you exchanged for money. God answered the prayer that we had for daily bread through individuals' work. And so God can actually answer a prayer through your work, right? And Martin Luther actually had this cool phrase where he called it the masks of God, that God was actually working behind our vocations, allocating his good gifts. And so if it's like um, you and I pray for healing, right? Well, thank God for modern day medicine, right? This is one of the ways God heals. And God can heal in any way God wants, but God often uses doctors and nurses and medicine to heal people. He uses a person with a gift, right? So Martin Luther went on to say, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. And I think that's a really helpful way to sort of spin what we do, why we do it, and and our motivation behind it. So you were created and called to work. Let me give you two caveats here, and then um, I'll move on to the rest part. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I've really been in a season of discernment about what I'm doing, and I don't like what I'm doing. Or you would say, just flat out, I hate my job right? And I know that, that for some of you today is very real. And could it be time for you, not, not to quit your job tomorrow, but could it be a season to pause and to discern and to commit to a season of exploration of both who you are and what God has called you to do so those things can actually come together? Because I think that what God generally does is he nudges us, right? He begins to nudge us. Are you going to love every part of your job? No, all right? It's called email, all right? Like, I, I get emails, and I'm like, I don't want emails, all right? This is a part of my job, right? But the other caveat is this. If you're unemployed here today, I, I, was, I was thinking a lot about you this week. I was praying for you this week. I don't have a lot of wisdom for you other than I genuinely, um, I think that, you know, there's a weight that when you're unemployed, you carry from a, a, there's a financial burden. But the other burden is the, the identity piece, right? And maybe this is even like irritating you some in that. I can even encourage you in the midst of that to say like, God has called you and created you to some form of work. So hang in there. Please don't be alone in that. Come receive prayer um, today if you'd like. And if your friend has advice for you and you don't want it, tell them, right? I don't, I don't want your advice, right? Like, I, I just want to, I, I want to figure this out, okay? Because I know that can be kind of a thing too in the midst of it. So you're created and called to work. And let's balance this out. You were created and called to rest. What does God do in creation? Here's what Exodus 20, 11 says. For in six days, the Lord, made the, heaven, the, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Every time I read that, I think, why does God rest? Like, God, God is all-powerful and all No, God doesn't need to rest, right? Um, what does it mean even, I guess, in some ways when I look at the passage, like, what does it mean that God rested, right? God gets tired, you know? <laughs> What it means is that God stopped. God didn't show up to do more. He wasn't at the desk, right? And what did he say? It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. He's modeling something for us. He's not coming back to check on creation because God is not addicted to work and he's not worried and he's not anxious about the well-being of his creation. Our God is not an anxious God. God knows how to turn it off and rest. And what I think he's doing in in the creation narrative is he's saying, this is actually how I've created the world and the order, but this is also how I've created you. I've put inside of you a rhythm. You know moments in your life where you've run dry, 
where you've pushed the gas too much. And what God is actually doing here is he's modeling it and he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imitate me. You can stop. He built, put it into creation. And God is very serious. Later on in Exodus, um, the passage on Sabbath, I think it's Exodus 20. I wish I would have put it in here. Um, God is talking about Sabbath and disobeying the Sabbath. And like there are consequences in the Old Testament for not obeying the idea of Sabbath rest, not as a way of legalism, but as a gift to us, the sustainable rhythm. And some of you are thinking to yourself, well, you know what? You don't really understand what I do. What I do is kind of important. You know, like I, I got to be on, I got to be plugged in. It's a specific season of my life. But I think one of the things God knows about us is when we unplug and when we rest, we're better at work. That, that's, that's just the reality that, that he's built in. So what are the implications of this idea of both, I'm going to speak specifically about Sabbath here in a minute, but what are the implications of this idea of rest? I think there's a really simple message that God gives us in this idea of the Sabbath, which is, there is a God, and you and I are not him, right? Like, God actually has a way of creation and a way of creating us that requires a level of trust from us because he's in charge, right? And for some of us, one of the things we wrestle with inside of this is actually control, right? Like, who am I if I'm not in school, working full or part-time, thinking about a side hustle, have a little YouTube channel, exercising regularly, and showing up at all of my friends' invites? Like, who am I if I'm not that person? And you who are laughing are the guilty ones right now, all right? It stings, though, right? Like, who am I if, if I'm not those things? Or we think, you know what? I will stop and I will rest, but later, right? I'll do that, but I'll do it later. But, but actually, the question inside of the Sabbath and inside of rest is actually, do you trust that God will take care of you? Like, do you trust that there are enough resources and, and God will be a means of provision? And then what are the implications? I think the implication is that Jesus says something very specific about rest. And I think it's important to narrow in on what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is, um, I'm, again, I'm not up on like, these agrarian terms, but it, like a yoke sounds like a burden, right? It's, it's like something that's placed on an animal um, to, to carry a load. It's something that would actually, like in a physical sense, weigh you down, right? And Jesus is saying, there's a way of being human, and you're going to have a yoke, right? And your yoke can be your work, and it can be the means of control and comparison, and, you know, like having all these things figured out. That can be the yoke that you, like, take on in this world, and all the anxiety that that brings, or the, the yoke could actually be something different. Right? It, could, it could be something that it still weighs on you, but apparently Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so you, can, you and I can sit here and think about rest and we can say, yep, you know what, I've, I'm guilty, I need to unplug, I need to rest, I'm just like, I need to, to stop. And I think we can actually, inside of that, inadvertently never do what Jesus actually says, which is to come to me, right? So if I'm not mindful, this is actually true, and I'm kind of ashamed of it. Um, if I'm not mindful, rest is like chilling out on the couch watching, I watched four or five, I can't remember, Fast and Furious movies this week. It's like so bad. They're horrible. It was awful, but I was just like, I'm just zoned out, right? 
that's not ultimately restful. I know I'm embarrassed, Allison. I'm sorry. She's like judging me. It's fine. There was there could have been something cooler on, um, but Jesus is actually inviting us to a specific kind of rest. Come, he says, "Come to me." Like there's a, a rest where we're actually like in in like union with Jesus, where you know our work is promising promising us prestige and and money and like the next step. And Jesus is like, "I've already given you that." Go back to work secure. You know, we're, we're striving in relationships and we're saying, like, give me meaning and give me purpose. Don't say that on a first date. Uh, that would be bad news. But Jesus is saying, I've already given you that, right? Go, go back into your relationship secure and ready to give, right? Like, I don't know. I, I do this. Like, I wear busyness as, like, a badge of honor. And Jesus is like, hey, honor the Sabbath. Like, work for six days. Work really hard. Work willingly. And then let it go. Put it down. Like, you can't control all the outcomes of this. And what Jesus is doing is he's referencing a rhythm of life, a rhythm of life that was instituted in the very beginning. Six days of work. I'm, I'm beginning to integrate these two. Work is honorable. And some of you actually need to hear that side of it today is that, hey, you know what? There's a, there's a level of discernment that I actually need to do. There's, there, there is a transition I need to make at work. There's something I need to really navigate. How am I called to do this, Right? Six days of work and then one day of rest. A day set aside not to do laundry, right? Not to, to make sure the house is cleaned up, but actually a day to just be pouring out during the week to what God has given to you and then unplugging from it. Um, I love Anne Lamont. She's so funny to me. She says, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, even you. I love that. You gotta, you gotta unplug. And maybe, I, I don't think today would actually be, um, today, today wouldn't be right if I didn't actually like come and, 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 and say this part of it. I will work myself to sickness. Like, I need to hear part of this. Um, I, 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 uh, I eat standing up. I, I eat walking. I literally ate lunch on Thursday eating a Chipotle burrito walking because I was like, this is how I like gotta schedule my day, right? I, I have tried mindfulness on 1.5 speed. Like, I love to go fast. That is, that is very true. It doesn't work, all right? But, like, I, I'm like, I got to grind. And earlier this year, I was experiencing, experiencing some health concerns um, from this. I had some, um, like, irregular heartbeat. My vision flashed a few times. I was getting um, shortness of breath. I had, a, I had the flu that turned into bronchitis because I was just running it too hard. I, I, used to, I can't do it anymore, but I was drinking four cups of coffee a day, just grinding, 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 because I'm like, oh, I'm, what I'm doing is meaningful and purpose, and it's good. It's good for other people. It's good for my family. And I, and I tried to rationalize. It's, it's just a season, right? I got two small kids. Like, this is just the work that this is what it's going to do. I was burning out. I was burning out. And you know what I wondered for a little while? I'm like, God, why, like, why is this happening to me? And I sort of got this sense, there's this passage in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, where um, it says that God hands people over to their idols. Like, God loves you so much that he'll actually, l like, let you have the thing that you so desire. And so if, if the thing I want is, like, to grind at work and to, like, be handed over to this, like, workaholism, all this stuff, I think God is like, hey, Russell, like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to hand you over to that. And guess what? I got really sick, right? And now I got medical bills to prove it, all right? So got to slow down. We have to slow down, and, and I know that we live in New York City. We're trying to make rent. We're trying to grind. We're trying to go, 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 but we've got to slow down. 
And so let me just give you four things on the Sabbath here. This comes from Pete Scazzaro, um, who I love and respect, pastor in Queens. Um, he pastored for a really long time. We've done a lot of his um, content around emotionally healthy spirituality. Here's how to Sabbath. And I just want to put this in here. Don't judge yourself. Like, let's think about the future and how we can um, change into the future. Maybe I shouldn't say don't judge yourself. If you're feeling that level of conviction, let it, let it change you. So stop. The Sabbath, the, the word literally means to cease, right? The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. What do you do on the Sabbath? You stop. It's a moment to listen to your body. What is your body trying to tell you? God made you, right? If that's hard for you, a little pro tip, schedule it. Put it on the calendar. Nothing that's not on my calendar doesn't get, if it doesn't, it's not on my calendar, it's not getting done. So I, uh, in the past, I've put blocks on my calendar and it says, do nothing, right? And our family has been working over the last year or so, even with two small kids, to really honor the Sabbath. Like Saturday is, is, it's not just family day, but it's like, it's time together to do these things, to stop, to cease from our doing, to rest, right? God rested after ceasing. So what are we supposed to do on the Sabbath? Whatever delight and delights and replenishes you. And so if that's taking a nap, if it's working out, if it's going for a walk, if it's reading a book, if it's watching a movie, watch better movies than me, if it's going to dinner, um, generally as like a, a rest practice, um, I avoid uh, the phone. I try to do a really good job on that on, on Saturdays. Um, and we can't let the household stuff take over. And so, um, you know, we're cleaning prior to this, right? We're doing the laundry prior to this. We're shopping prior to this or after this, or only if those things are actually a, a, a means of rest. But we do those things in preparation earlier in the week. Um, and then delight. What did God say after creating? It was good. It was good. It was good. What does he say after the seventh? It was very good. There's a measure of delight that the Sabbath is a gift that if you slow down, that over time, what you find is joy in the present moment. And so like, I've been thinking about this as a, um, Pete Scazzaro talks a lot about this in this idea of delight, is to like, slow down so much that you can actually taste your food. Like, slow down enough to really like, savor the moments. And what I actually found um, for myself is that this takes time to develop. Like, getting into this rhythm of slowing down is something we learn. And so it doesn't just happen right away because we choose to cease. We've got we to gotta start it. But to slow down, don't get mad if you're in line somewhere. That's what we do in New York City. We stand in line, it's fine. But like, just try to be there and be present in that moment to delight in it. And then the last one is to contemplate, right? What did Jesus say? Come to me, right? This, this isn't just for fun, right? This isn't just to cease, but it's actually to join Jesus in the moment where, where actually that we're praying, that we're slowing down to have a moment where we're just saying, God, I know that you're here with me today. I love to be with you and to be present with you, that you could contemplate. So what do you need to hear today? What do you need to hear today? Is it about work or school and you're saying, you know what, I really want to find deep meaning and purpose in my uh, career. I, I want you to know, I believe that can, that can happen to you, right? That you can actually find deep meaning and purpose in your work and you can do it from a place of security and you can do it from a place of joy and you can do it from a place of rest. And then what if you were rested? Like, what if your mind wasn't so full? What if your body didn't ache? What if you didn't need that third cup of coffee, right? And if you're hearing today, like, life hack, right? You're thinking, like, you know, bone broth and, like, kale smoothies and cold showers. Like, this, this, is, this is not it. 
Like that, that's not going to cut it. Those may help you. I don't really know. Um, but what Jesus actually said, I think is the most important, which is come to me. In your rest and in your work, he's the thing that can actually root you. He's the thing that can give you um, the, the sense of security and deep meaning and purpose. He's the one that gives that, right? So you may say, well, you know, a pastor says I can find deep meaning and purpose in my work. Well, sure, but he's going to give it to you. He's going to give you the right motivation for it, and he's going to be the one that holds all of that together. And that is sort of the gospel lens on our work and our rest, that there's deep meaning and, 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 um, a deep meaning and purpose in your career through Jesus, and there's deep rest in the person of Jesus. Both things are true. Let's pray. So, Lord, I just I love to, to just like dig into these passages and, and see um, how you've called us to these things, how Sunday can, can meet Monday, and we um, can really understand that you, um, that you desire flourishing for us. And so I, I pray right now as we come to the communion table, I pray that um, at, at communion you would meet us, that you are a God that um, very familiar with work, and you were a God that knew that we would fall short in all of these areas, so that when we come to the table this morning, we'd be reminded that we can abide in you, that we can find a moment of reprieve and rest through the communion meal. And as we partake of this today, that we would be reminded that we are loved so deeply, that we are the beloved, that we can go out secure. And so, Father, uh, we give you this time as we sing one more song. We love you, Jesus. Amen.